You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Kent Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself... Craig Stouts and Matt Lane all get together to talk about what we saw on film from last week's game and get you ready for next week's opponents. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, Tyreek Hill had a phenomenal performance. Matt Lane has already broken that down. He's got a lot to talk about with that. We're going to talk a little bit about the defensive performance with Craig Stout, and then we'll all get together to answer your questions at the end of the show. We did a nice big mailbag today, uh, and we're going to pl- plan on doing that every single week, actually, on this show. So thank you for all your questions. We're going to try to get as many as we can, and we'll be taking questions every single week on this show. Before we bring Matt Lane on, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to be writing a piece about him every single week. You're going to get a three-part series every single week on Arrowhead Pride. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you're going to get uh, articles on Patrick Mahomes. All of them have a different kind of flavor, uh, different focal points. But I think the one thing that I've taken away to this point in his career is that he has done nothing to this point to, to limit his ceiling to reduce his ceiling, to to make you believe that there's there's not a chance that he could get there. I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to to reach his full potential. I'm not like guaranteeing that or anything. But what I can tell you is his ceiling has not been lowered to this point. And that's something that I just continue to see with him as we continue to progress with his career. You know, it's a small sample size, but you look at his two in-game performances when the game's counted and last week was incredible. It was a, a fantastic start to his era. Uh, no turnovers, obviously. Not too many risky mistakes with the football. I think um, I did write about this today. I think the the underthrow where Tyreek Hill got hurt was a little bit risky. Uh, I don't love where that ball wound up being placed. It put kind of put Tyreek Hill in a, in a compromising situation. And could you imagine if? If Tyreek Hill had gotten hurt on that play, that wouldn't have been fun. That wouldn't have been a great way to uh, to to start this season off. Uh, I think if if Pat had kind of laid that over the top of the safeties and put it into a position where only he could get that ball, I would have liked to see that. But overall, I think he made great decisions. I think he made some of the spectacular plays that we've come to kind of expect from him, which is in and of itself kind of impressive. I, you know, you think about the the two quarterbacks taken in the first round along with him. Mitchell Trubisky has done plenty of things that have made you worry that he'll ever reach his potential. And then the same with Deshaun Watson. He got hurt. And there's a lot of really good things that he did with some of the explosive plays that he generated. But he was very reckless with the football. And Patrick Mahomes, touchdown to interception ratio currently in his career is 4-1. to one. Obviously, there is plenty of time for that to change. 
but I do think overall he's been pretty protective of the football and still been able to work within his abilities to create some explosive plays. And it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. I think you see how high the ceiling is not only for him, but for this offense because of Tyreek Hill and what he's able to provide, you know, with, with you know, just a slant, the, the slant that, that Mahomes delivered to Tyreek Hill and he was able to put on the burners and, and separate Matt Lane th- wrote a great piece about Tyreek Hill today that we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit, but I mean, you see the ceiling. They really didn't get Tyreek. They didn't really get Travis Kelsey or Sammy Watkins that much involved with the offense. There's so much potential there, and I can't wait to see you know what what this offense looks like eight weeks from now. I think uh, Andy Reid has done a phenomenal job of bringing Patrick Mahomes along as we've progressed, as we've as we've gone throughout his little his, his stint here. He's done a great job of of setting expectations, building a process to develop them. And to Pat's credit, he's done everything he can to meet those expectations. And um, I think I think Andy's really done a good job of putting Pat in situations to succeed already. And I think he's finding ways to tweak some looks here and there, change the route depths on some stuff, push the boundaries a little far with some of the concepts that they've ran. And, and and tied them to Pat's abilities. And I we continue to see that. It's really encouraging. I thought, you know, the, the RPO uh, slant flat RPO to Tyree Kill that he wound up taking to the house. We didn't see that very much last year in uh, it, with with Alex Smith. And the depths were pushed a little bit farther than, than your typical slant flat kind of concepts when you see those RPOs. So they're pushing the boundaries because Tyree Kill is a guy that can get more depth on those kind of looks. And Patrick Mahomes is a guy that can deliver a ball in tight spaces with more zip uh, than others can. So he can, he, it's kind of tying some of these concepts together to fit the personnel. And that's what makes me so encouraged about Pat's ability to kind of, to reach his ceiling. I think that's a big piece of this. Everything is kind of, all the elements are there. All the elements are there for this kid. And it's the coach, it's the personnel, it's the ability, it's the mentality he's grown up developing being, you know, uh, being in the background of a professional athlete with his dad, there's there's so many positive markers, and there hasn't been a red flag yet for him, and that's that's very encouraging. I'm very optimistic. I think there's a lot of really cool things that happened on Sunday, and we've been writing about them. There's you, there's a you're gonna get six talking points about Patrick Mahomes and his growth and development on Arrowhead Pride this week and every week. And uh, I hope you'll take a look at those articles. I'm going to bring Matt Lane on here in a second to start talking about Tyree Kill. Craig later, and then all three of us will jump in on the Nerd Squad mailbag to close this show out. So those are my thoughts on Patrick Mahomes. We'll jump into the Tyree Kill conversation here in a second. And we're going to bring Matt Lane the uh, film and draft analyst on Arrowhead Pride, my good pal, onto the show. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew, how uh, how you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. It's a big win for Chiefs Kingdom over the weekend, so we're all good to go. How about you? I'm all right. That was so much fun. That that was just a great way to kick off the the Patrick Mahomes era, and uh, you the Tyree focused, Kill era. It, I, I was I, I Matt. I had you, buddy. I was gonna, my bad. I was gonna put a perfect, I'm just stepping all up on your toes. 
perfect transition into talking about your excellent piece on Arrowhead Pride already. Tyreek Hill went ham, and you wrote 2,300 words about it and totally made Pete mad with all of the content that he had to edit. Um, what did Just kind of give me an overview of what you thought about Tyreek Hill's performance. I mean, it was a fantastic performance. I don't even think the numbers are really going to do it justice because it can't. you can't really put into words just how dominant he was for just the entire game. Like, you get to watching the broadcast view, and it looks fantastic. But I turned on the All-22, and you just get that little bit wider camera angle, and you just see players trying to get to Tyreek Hill just during the punt return or that first long touchdown. Just angles are just disappearing before your eyes as these guys are thinking they're trying to cut him off and he's just gone it's just it's silly and watching deep safeties try to cover their butts on long deep passes and opening their hips early and he just puts on the brakes is it was something else and then on top of that i'm fairly sure the guy probably ran like five miles worth of motion (laughs) pre-snap and it just had the chargers defense all out of whack Oh, he's on move all the time. That's that's similar to what he did last year. Uh, real quick, what was your what was your favorite like play of his last uh, Sunday? Oh, it was the definitely the third, and I believe it was thirteen catch, kind of later in the game. Get that first down. It was on the corner route. He kind of got a free release up the seam, but you could very clearly he had to be matched up with Derwin James, who was playing pretty deep. And he's attacking him, and James did a fantastic job of just staying square, getting depth in his backpedal. And just at no point in time, Tyreek Hill had any leverage on the route until he just hit this fantastic kind of pressure step to the outside with the head fake inside. And then Derwin James had to open his hips up. He's a fantastic athlete, but even he can't keep up with Tyreek going deep on a post. So he opened it up, and as soon as he opened his hips up, Tyreek cut outside on the corner route. Ball was a little underthrown because Mahomes was on the move, throwing across his body. So Tyreek had to adjust, come back, kind of diving towards the ground to snag the ball. But huge catch for 30-some yards. And it was just the, one of the most beautiful routes I've ever seen Tyreek Hill run. We both, we both wrote about that play. We kind of had like our own little little Mahomes to Hill connection because I was riding on the front side. You were running on the back side of it. I loved that my favorite part of that play was just how much space he had to move back to it. Like he just created so much space between him and Derwin that he was able to work back to the ball. I loved that play. Uh, oh, yeah. Derwin okay. was doing a 360. And the best part of the play, you can't leave this out, is definitely the Chargers reaction after the ball mm-hmm. was caught. Just Derwin, and I think it was Hayward, just the hand shrug. Same thing we saw last year from Roby. Like, just what can you do? Like, there's, there's should, no answer. It's the best. We should just start, like, like we should start a shrug count, you know? Like, yeah, I think just... Good Morning Football beat us to it, unfortunately. So I have oh, been informed they? on Twitter. Yes, it was on Good sh- Morning Football. They did all the shrugs from Mahomes' starts. The Denver oh, ones like, and the Chargers ones, yep. They're going to track it throughout the season, how many shrugs? I don't know if they're going to track it, but Schrager definitely a, said he's going to keep making cut-ups of uh, all the shrugs that Mahomes gets from the throws that he makes. So it's going to be like a segment. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm man. disappointed, too. That would have been a great idea. Oh, well. Uh, okay. Well, never mind, then. Uh, yeah. Okay. Is, is Tyreek Hill elite? Just straight up. <laughs> so I'm about to become public enemy number one in Kansas City, and I urge what? you to read the article on Arrowhead Pride first because it's all about how you define elite, in my opinion. For elite, you have to be able to make a legitimate case to be the best player at your position. And while Tyree Kill is right there behind, I don't think that he can make that claim over Antonio Brown or even Odell Beckham Jr. yet just because we haven't seen him attack man coverage with a lack of space at the level that they have yet. So we're talking like in the red zone or on third and five when he's manned up, he just hasn't shown 
how to set up a defender specifically that's in man coverage, how to read leverage, how to take leverage when he doesn't have it. There's just a couple little nuances that are left to his game that once he figures those out, and he very well could already have. It's not like the Chargers ever played man coverage against them. So he could come out this week against Pittsburgh and just torch Artie Burns, which should happen anyway. But <laughs> it could, it, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's top three. But he's definitely a top five wide receiver in the NFL. I just have him like a half spot below those two based on the fact that I'm not as comfortable with him beating man coverage in a small space as I am with those guys. So elite-ish thing. Yes, like, we go elite-ish, but like I said, elite, you just got to be able to make a claim <laughs> to be the best, and he's so close. He's the most dangerous and the most explosive player by far, but just, like I said, there's just a little bit left, and I just want to see it. I think it's there. Like I said, that corner route was fantastic. If he can do that on a just a short, quick out or some slants in the red zone, like I have no problem with that, but even his slant versus the Chargers was just in a lot of open space. Like he didn't gotcha. have to leverage and then get back across the face of a defender. So I just want to see that before I go ahead and give it the elite status. I get you. That's fair. Um, so now you've kind of moved on a little bit. You're starting to scout the Steelers defense for a piece you're going to have up. I think it's on Friday, right? It should be on Friday. Yep. Okay. So based on what you've seen to this point, you got a little bit of any, any thoughts on the Steelers defense to this point? Yeah, we're just starting to get into it, but really Tyrod Taylor played, or sorry, Tyrod Taylor played very poorly <laughs> against the Steelers. Like there was open guys all over the field that he just was missing. He was hesitant to throw to, absolutely no anticipation. It was just pretty much typical Taylor things. Very safe with the ball. The Steelers defense looked good when you're just watching the ball or the quarterback, but when you got to really back it out, there was guys and plays to be made that just simply weren't. And I think for if we've seen anything from just one week of Chiefs football, they're going to try to make those plays. So there's definitely some yardage to be had there. One thing that concerns me a little bit is going to be our ability to run against them. The Steelers played the run very well in the first half against the Browns. And in the second half, it looked like they wore down a little bit. But part of that was just how heavy they were playing contained against Taylor. He was taking off any chance he could get. So they were just, their edges on running downs were just sitting out in the flats waiting for him to take off rather than trying to attack the run. So I'm not sure this is going to be the game where our running game gets going. But we should find some space through the air, especially because Joe Hayden's hamstring's a little wonky right now. And if Artie Burns is your top corner, like I have no problem thinking that Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Chris Conley, anybody they put out there can beat Artie Burns or anybody else behind him. I'm here for Patty slinging it across the field. That is Matt Lane. We'll bring him back here in a little bit for a big AP mailbag. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us, bud. Thanks for having me. Can't catch you guys later. And now we bring on the oldest member of the Nerd Squad, the tallest member of the Nerd Squad, and the longest beard on the Nerd Squad, Craig Stout. What's going on, bud? Man, I will gladly wear every single one of those labels. Like, I, I take pride in all of that. I'm wiser. I can see things <laughs> better than you guys. My beard is amazing. It, it really is. I, I take pride in all of that. How you doing, Kent? Dude, I I don't know. I'm feeling all right. <laughs> the, the, the Chiefs game was fun. Um, I, I'm still trying to get over the fact that your first date with your wife was Monsters, Inc. in 2001. And I was in junior high. I, yes, I am significantly older than the rest of the nerd squad. And yes, I have been with my wife for going on 17 years now. So yeah, it, 
I'm old, Kent. I'm really old. <laughs> Can we talk about the defense? Sorry for sidetracking, but I just really wanted to rib you about how old you are. Um, if you can, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Know, yeah. No. No. My hearing's hearing not aid. gone yet. Yeah. The new, new hearing, hearing aids aid. came in, and okay. I got okay, my hip cool. replaced, so I was able to actually make it to my computer today. That's great. Oh, congratulations. You and Bob Sutton have a lot in common. We're and it's best not friends. just that Yeah, you both are gonna retire together next year. It's gonna be great. Uh speak speaking of Bob, uh and actually this is this is partially Bob, but it's partially just the personnel. What do you think of the secondary uh against the Chargers? Well, it obviously uh could have been better. I after watching the all twenty two, I'm not as concerned as I was. Um obviously Orlando Skandrick was not very good, but we saw a lot of times where guys were running pick and rub routes, and typically the Chiefs banjo those, or they switch the responsibilities of the coverage, and he and Kendall Fuller weren't quite communicating that to each other. There were some hand signals going back and forth, and then they just end up staying with their men. So a lot of times Kendall or Orlando or even Steven Nelson would be behind the play because they weren't getting through pick routes and rub routes. I think that gets cleaned up as they go along. Uh, Ron Parker had a good interception. He looked good coming downhill in his run fits, but he was pretty lacking on the back end as a deep safety. He got burned a couple of times. He had one where he actually threw Steven Nelson for a loop where he was cutting across to cover a tight end. I think he thought that Phillip was going to throw the ball over there and that caused uh, Keenan Allen to be wide open in the end zone. But I, I, I think that most of them are communication issues. I don't, I'm not terribly worried about the personnel yet. I would like to see more out of Orlando Scandrick, but Eric Murray, guy that hasn't really been talked about very much this week, had a great game. Uh, he, he had a catch against him early where he was lined up in the slot against Keenan Allen and then didn't allow another catch until the fourth quarter when they went into a shell. Eric Murray actually looked great, and Kendall needs more or needs longer studs on his cleats because he fell down all the time too. So, <laughs> just lots of little things that I, that showed up on the film that weren't on the broadcast that I think do get cleaned up. Maybe not next week, but over the course of the next three, four weeks here before we go into the easier stretch of the uh, schedule. With Eric Murray. Is it just like, do you think he's just playing assignment sound and like it's just kind of quiet with him? Is that is that part of like, is, is that what Eric Murray's going to be when he's good? Is just, he's going to play, it's going to be a quiet game, but he's going to be doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing? Is that is that kind of your vision for him? Oh, absolutely. He's, he will blanket a tight end out of the game. That's what he did with the, with the Chargers tight ends for the majority of this game. He was sound in his run fits. He... He came up quite a few times and, and made plays. If you actually look through his his tackle stats, he had a couple tackles for loss. He's just a guy that's going to show up and do his job. I don't think we're going to see a lot of interceptions. I don't think we're going to see a lot of splash plays. But especially on a defense that kind of has some high-variance players, usually typically bad, having a guy that you can count on to go out there and just do his job and do it well is paramount for Bob Sutton's scheme. It's awesome. Arrow pointing up, I guess. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the young guys that that saw some time on the fr- on the defensive line uh, in, in the edges. Uh, Derek Nadi, Tano Passigno, Breland Speaks. What did you see from those three guys? 
I think uh, Naughty earned a lot of playing time this week. He he really did a good job with holding the point of attack. He actually got some penetration on a couple run plays. They even lined him up out wide, as uh, we coined it, the wide Naughty. And I'm so here for that. I am that's, so here for it, too. <laughs> that's but, amazing. But he, he collapsed, actually, against the guard on one of the plays that he did there and actually got a pressure on Phillip Rivers. So... He's, he's showing up all over the place. I think he earned more snaps. He looked better than Xavier Williams to me this week. We'll see how that works against the Steelers' kind of more robust uh, offensive line. Uh, Tano Passino looked great. Tano Passino came in at the end of the game and routinely beat his tackle. He was choke-held three or four times, plays that he would have disrupted the play for Phillip Rivers. I think that he also needs more snaps. He got less than Breland Speaks, who did not look great, in my opinion. <laughs> he, hey, can we, can, we, can we talk about Tano real quick? Just, yeah. We can jump to Speaks here in a second. But with Tano, I don't think I saw him much in the first half. Was it just kind of like he was late into the game, just kind of you know fresh legs at the end, or like what was what was his usage like? Was it more towards the end, or did he actually play some in the beginning of the game as well? Oh no, I didn't notice him at all at the beginning of the game. I'm not through charting the entire thing yet. That will be coming this week, and I can confirm that. But thus far, he's not been in the game. I think he came in late as Justin Houston wore down a little bit. D Ford wore down a little bit. You know they were on the field so much in that second half that I think they just needed some fresh legs to keep it going around the edge. And it definitely showed with the offensive tackles as well. You know, Houston beat them up for most of the game, and Tano came in and was able to do some damage. So it kind of sounds to me like, uh, from a usage standpoint, when you say Tano earned some snaps, you mean like he should be part of the rotation moving forward. Correct. I think that he should be a third guy that's in there. I think that... If they want to keep Justin Houston fresh, if they want to keep D Ford as effective as they can, I think we should see Tano and D, Justin and Tano, together on the field together. That way we can, you know, keep the whole rotation as effective as possible. Sweet. Sorry, sorry for sidetracking. I was really no, I was no, kind of curious in. about that. Yeah. Um Breland though, the the stand up five tech as we edge, the guy that looks like a five tech but is playing with his you know, in a two point stance. Um what <laughs> did you see what did you see from the second round pick? He just uh he just needs a lot of work rushing the passer. Again, I've I've kind of said it since we saw him in camp and since preseason kind of came around. He's a strong guy. He sets a hard edge, but pursuing uh, getting after the passer, just things. He he's basically the polar opposite of D Ford. He just can't. He he won't get moved, but he's never going to chase a guy down. There were several interior runs that busted through to the second level that he was trying to chase after, and just his athleticism or lack thereof kind of really showed up in those moments. So I think maybe he either needs to play as a five tech as we've been saying or maybe drop a little weight and you know see if he can get to be a little more agile he's just kind of in between where i think that they want him to be right now 
See, I'm kind of just concerned. Like, I don't know what kind of plan he's going to be able to develop as a pass rusher. That's like one of my biggest concerns with him moving forward. Is like, what what does his what what's his plan going to look like whenever you know he's kind of become more developed? Like, that's a big concern for me. For sure. Right now, it's a bull rush, and it's another right. bull rush. But I mean, it, we we went through a little bit of that with. With D Ford, you know, he was kind of more of a just run the tape, run the corner every time. And he's now starting to develop into a guy that can kind of work back inside and and use that to his ability. And that's what's making him a better pass rusher. Are we going to see Speaks take three or four years to get to that? Or is it something that they can use him as it like a stand up five tech, use him inside <laughs> and actually know that they're not going to lose anything in the run game? And maybe have him be able to bull rush some guards and some centers inside. We'll see. Oh, great. So we're just looking forward to seeing him being productive on a contract year. That's great. Um, <laughs> one, one, one more thing for you. And then uh, we'll jump into that, that mailbag. We'll bring Maddie back on. Um, you started kind of getting a little bit of an idea of, of advanced scouting for the for the Steelers offense. I think you and Maddie both will have pieces on Friday. What have you seen so far from what you've seen from the uh, from the Steelers offense? Well, the Steelers offense did not look particularly good against the Browns this weekend. Uh, it was rainy. Uh, ben had a sore elbow. You know, name every excuse in the book. It's Pittsburgh. They they always seem to do that. The game before they play the Chiefs, there's three billion excuses why they played poorly, but they still always show up against the Chiefs. They're, they ran a lot of 22 personnel to keep Cleveland in their base as much as possible. Cleveland struggled a little bit with that. James Conner went off because they tried to stay in their nickel defense as much as possible and flood the secondary with guys to prevent Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster from going off against them. And Conner was the benefactor of all of that. They also used Connor a lot in the flat. That doesn't bode well for the Chiefs' defense. They didn't do a particularly good job defending that this week. And then they ran a lot of man-beater, you know, underneath routes with uh, with Brown and Schuster, and the Chiefs didn't really defend those particularly well either. So if they can clean up some of the stuff that, uh, that they did against San Diego, then I think that they might match up pretty well rushing the passer, getting Ben off his spot. He tends to lock on to his first option, and then if there's interior pressure, he freaks out. So I think that Chris Jones, if he has another game like he did against San Diego, we'll see some uh, some good stuff out of the Chiefs' defense, but they've got to clean up some communication on the back end, especially with those outstanding receivers. That's one of the founding fathers of our country, Craig Stout. Thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> hey, thanks, Kent. And we've got the whole Nerd Squad back together again for a big mailbag. So many questions this week. Thank you guys so much for, for everything you asked. There were so many great questions. We had to really whittle it down. I'm going to go back, and I'll, I'm sure Craig and Matt will too, to try to answer some of the ones that we don't get to on the show. But let's just jump right into it, fellas. Uh, at Kenny Wit the Coke. Wow, I said that really great didn't i i'm so uh, glad you have to pronounce everybody's names <laughs> i know i know um he asks uh when do y'all think Dar- dorian o'daniel will take over for the in- inside linebacker spot in coverage situations raglan and hitchens 
were bad in uh, in zone. So, uh, Matt, what do you think? Well, starters, Ragland Hitchens were even worse in man-to-man covers in zone, so that's probably where we got to <laughs> at least begin the conversation. But, uh, I mean, clearly they're working on trying to get somebody else in on third downs in the inside linebacker spot instead of Ragland at the very least, as you saw Terrence Smith, for whatever reason, trot out there far too many times. So, I mean, they're already working on getting another linebacker out there. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. I honestly don't understand how Dorian O'Daniel can be so unready that he could have less of an impact than Terrence Smith had on the defense. I He must just run towards the opposite end zone to be that much worse. <laughs> like, I honestly don't know. I mean, now Craig's probably watched a little bit more of the defense, so maybe Terrence Smith had some moments that I just didn't see when I was kind of watching through on the offense a little bit more heavily this week. But, yeah, I just don't know how O'Daniel can be so far behind that he's healthy enough to play pretty much all the special team snaps but not really see the field on defense at all. That said, I do hope we see him at some point in time this year. He is by far the best and most athletic inside linebacker we have, and we're clearly going to need it if watching Melvin Gordon and Eckler run around all over our linebackers is a sign of things to come. Yeah, no, definitely the case. I do think that Terrence Smith looked better than Reggie Ragland in his coverage, but he wasn't particularly good. Reggie just can't get sideline to sideline. I mean, we saw it multiple times this week. Melvin Gordon and Eckler getting to the outside and Reggie just trying to take the right angle and not even getting remotely close to it. So I do think that Terrence Smith is the logical choice to put in there until Dorian O'Daniel's out there. Again, like Matt said, I have no idea why not. He just must not know the calls. But it really kind of puts in perspective, you know, we hated Daniel Sorensen in the box. Daniel Sorensen would be in the box next to Anthony Hitchens in those roles. Daniel Sorensen can get out and get on those running backs. So there was a spot for that third safety. Being hurt and everything like that has really cost the team that ability. Maybe we see Eric Berry do that. Maybe we see Eric Murray a little more in the box if Eric Berry's healthy. But until then, we're just going to have to grit our teeth and get through Terrence Smith, I think. Yeah, Dorian definitely looked pretty slow to process when we were out there in training camp. So I just I hope he gets caught up to speed because they definitely need his skill set out there. Uh, the very handsome Matt Stagner. I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Matt Stagner. Great guy. Um, he asks, what are they doing with left guard? And given how Mahomes played, does it even matter? <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Matt? Uh, all right. So Cam Irving at left guard was not terrible. I'm not going to say it was good, but it wasn't terrible. He didn't have any just crazy bad plays like we'd seen during the preseason. He also didn't really have any highlights. In the strangest fashion, Irving is still, despite being billed as an athletic player, so much better just man-blocking the guy right in front of him and getting a little bit of push. When you have him move laterally and try to block someone's space, he just falls apart, plays weak. It doesn't make any sense. So what they're doing at left guard, I don't know. I think they're probably going to be pretty happy with what they got out of Irving in this game, though. He wasn't facing the most dynamic interior pass rushers. He will against Pittsburgh. But this game, I mean, he got by just fine. There was only really one play I saw where he just couldn't get his hands on a defender, resulted in a batted pass because he just could not keep the defender from getting free and elevating up, knocking the ball down. But if that's the worst play you have from an offensive lineman pretty much all day, then you're probably good. Yeah, but conversely, they couldn't run the ball very well in in the interior there and that's been a problem for years and years with the Chiefs we seem to have to finesse the ball on short yardage 
you know, plays. I mean, we're running the triple option and you know, <laughs> match point magic to try and pick up two yards. So I think that there's a there is something there. We will see it this week. Matt Matt hit it. Pittsburgh is going to be the biggest test. If Pittsburgh comes in and they really bowl him over, we actually might see Andrew Wiley in this week if if Cam isn't holding his own early. At this point, I kind of want to see Andrew Wiley. And on the back half of that, no, Mahomes is just dealing so much right now. It hasn't mattered all that much. It will eventually, but it didn't matter this week. Um, so with at- the run game, I just want to jump back in real quick. With the uh, run game part running up the middle, it wasn't even just Cam Irvin, though. Irving, though, that was the issue. Morris oh, was missing a couple yeah. blocks. Right. LDT wasn't getting a great push. Like It was just everybody. And I think the issue is the Chiefs are still just so insistent on running outside zone anytime they need yardage. Like in the preseason, we saw a couple mix-ups with some powers out of the spread formation, a couple traps, and all of a sudden in this game again, it was just outside zone, outside zone, and maybe sprinkle in an inside zone every now and then. But unless we were running a RPO, really, we weren't getting, or a little bit of Tyree Kill in motion, we weren't getting any room to run whatsoever. It's just that same old tired run philosophy that we've had for years now that everybody's kind of seemed to pick up on. I wonder yeah. if I wonder if part of that's personnel decisions too, though. Like, I mean, they haven't spent a lot of money on the left guard position since Andy Reid's been here, and and just the interior line until Laurent Duvernay Tardif, they really hadn't put a ton of assets into it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, maybe that's just where Andy Reid tries to get away with some cost savings inside. I don't know. Yeah, and that's a good spot to do it. I mean, offensive guard is a position that you don't have to have someone great at. I just think that it's if you're going to keep running the same run over and over again as right. much as the Chiefs did in that game, you got to get a little bit more execution out of it since you're not going to out-scheme anybody with it. For sure. And you got to have a little more than a rotating door at that position <laughs> from season to season. That's true. Uh, that, that too. Uh, at Edgar Wharton asks, if D Ford has a big year, 10-plus sacks – do you trust to uh, pay him with a long-term contract? The reason you guys know why I asked this question because it has been like a conversation in our like on me- our thread in our message thread for like the last couple days. Uh, Craig, kick us off. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I listen. D had a great game on Sunday. Our, one of his best so far in a Chiefs uniform. He showed. A good inside move and you know he's known as this guy who's just a speed guy to the outside so he showed a good inside move he mixed it up some but I just think that I don't trust paying guys in a contract year they have Justin Houston locked up for a large amount of money if D goes out and has 10 sacks it's going to be another huge chunk of change that you're pouring into just two guys there on your defense and you're paying Eric Berry a lot of money too. There's potentially a lot of holes this next offseason. So I think I just let him walk and take the compensatory pick. So in our chat, I'm the D Ford guy. I'm the guy that's on the other side of everybody else and it's fine. So <laughs> for this particular question, if I were the Chiefs, if D Ford has 10 plus sacks, I think that means that the defense played pretty well because Chris Jones is still going to be great. Justin Houston is still very solid. You're going to get pass rush elsewhere. So if D Ford has 10-plus sacks, the defense is going to play pretty good. That means Bob Sutton is most definitely coming back next year, and I still don't think, even with a great year, D Ford is the best fit for Sutton's defensive system. 
talked about it a little bit. D Ford needs to have the choices taken out of his head. Just let him line up, get him out wide, let him attack the quarterback. And if the running back happens to get in his way in the, in the process, that's great. If not, I don't care. Keep going for the quarterback. Wide nine, rush the passer, use that speed, use his counters that he showed. Even going back to Auburn, they were there. He just couldn't pull them off as much in the NFL due to lack of play strength or whatever it is. So if I'm another team that sees D Ford have a great year, then I might consider it. If I'm the Chiefs with this particular defensive system, I just don't think I see the fit that makes him an every down player that's going to be worth that size of contract that he's going to get. I'm all in on the compensatory pick. You guys already know that. Compensatory pick. That's exactly right. I just Just don't don't draft an old guy. (laughs) Don't. Yeah, you can't draft a 28 year old with him with that pick. I just I don't know. I don't I don't trust D Ford completely. He's been so up and down. I think obviously he's playing for money right now. I don't want to pay him into his 30s either. So I'm moving on from D Ford pretty much regardless of what he does this year. And hopefully he does enough to get a third round compensatory. Uh, at Larry McCammon asks, what uh, was was the lack of Kelsey involvement more about San Diego's defensive scheme or more about Casey's offensive play calls? Uh, Matthew? So I was actually interested in this going back because Kelsey did end up with six targets, but if you kind of think back to the game, they weren't really great targets. Only one of them seemed to be really downfield. The rest of them were all relatively short, so I was just curious, did the Chargers go out of their way to take him out of the game, or what was it? And really, the Chargers didn't. It was more of the Chiefs play calling. This week just didn't seem to feature Travis Kelsey. He ran a ton of clear-out routes, a ton of little routes into the flats just to occupy defenders. He just didn't seem to have a huge part of the game plan outside of a few plays. Like, we have the Sherman wheel route, and he had run the opposite way on Tyreek Hill's deep kind of crossing route where he made the spectacular catch before falling on his head. Thank God he was okay after that. (laughs) But outside a couple of those plays, like he really was just kind of running as a decoy almost. So it was almost as if Reed kind of went into the game knowing how good he is and how much teams pay attention to him, that they're just going to kind of let him take up space. They must have seen something that let them know that Tyreek Hill was going to go off because he was the guy that was the first read far more often and the guy that was getting downfield into the big open spots against the Chargers defense. And even still, even with that, the Chargers were having to key off of Travis Kelsey. Even if he's not part of your game plan, you don't get to just kind of put him off to the side and say, we're going to focus on somebody else. He's still the key that keeps everything going. So, So I do think that they were able to just, I mean, Tyreek had a day, so you just keep throwing it his way. We'll just come back another day, hit Kelsey with it. I, I think everything's fine. Not worried about Kelsey at all. I I think he'll actually eat against Pittsburgh. And I, I totally agree with all of that. Uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, you know, he's a steady presence. He's super dynamic for what he is. Part of me also wonders if... They just knew that the Tyreek to Patrick Mahomes connection was going to be just something so unique and dynamic that they haven't shown at all. Like, I mean, Kelsey can go out there and and be isolated as a Y on the backside of a formation, and you know what he's going to do. But, like, the Tyreek-Patrick Mahomes connection was just a little bit different. Like, they were a little bit more explosive and aggressive, and that was something that hadn't really been a ton on tape, too. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and to Craig's point too, before I jump in, Kelsey definitely was never wide open. At no point in time was he ever just even getting a free release off the line of scrimmage like you saw Tyreek Hill getting all the time. Somebody was always picking him up. He just seemed to be kind of playing into it and just bodying up against the linebacker before trying to cut out towards the sideline and just take up some space. And I do think there's part of it. 
Patrick Mahomes has never played with Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill's never played with Patrick Mahomes. It's a match made in heaven. There's so much excitement, even just between those two and the coaches that you can pick up on. People just wanted to show it. Like, I think that was it. They just wanted to get out there and they wanted to show it to everybody. They kind of lived and died by featuring Tyree Kill, and it worked out great this week. I put the league on notice. You got to pay attention to Tyreek. As if they didn't already know. Now it's just like yeah. that much more terrifying. <laughs> right. Uh, at CMoose7 asks, how do you think Sutton plans to deal with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, Gregory? Uh, tire iron to the knee, I think, <laughs> is probably. We're no, I, Bob has always done pretty well against Antonio Brown. I mean, last year, Antonio broke 100 yards, but he wouldn't have if Philip Gaines didn't let a pass doink off of his head and into Antonio's you know, open hands to run down the rest of the field. I think Bob does what Cleveland did last week, where they just kind of flood the secondary with guys to try and just take up as much space as possible with zones and force Pittsburgh to try and find seams within the zone and then beat our pass rush. D Ford typically has success against Pittsburgh. So the rush is going to get home. I, I'm not terribly worried about them beating us deep. I think they'll just catch a lot of crossers underneath. And if that's all that they're going to get all day long, I think Bob takes that. Yeah, as long as our tackling's improved, I'm all down with that plan. It does give me a little bit of a pause to think about Antonio Brown or Juju Smith-Schuster running across the middle of our defense the way they were tackling last week. But you can't take away everything as a defense, so I get it. The Cle- or not the Cleveland the Cleveland Browns were able to get some pressure on Ben Roethlisberger and force some pretty errant throws, and some of them were tipped or guys were running the wrong routes. But Ben didn't look great. The right tackle for the Steelers looked like he was able to get beaten by rookie Jannard Avery, who's like five foot nine and a pass rusher. It's the I most love Jannard Avery. Jannard no, Avery's my just, guy. He was Come very good. But Justin Houston, D Ford at this point in time, I'm going to go out on a limb and say are probably a little bit better of a pass rusher than he is. So I'm interested to see what happens there. And like Craig said, just confuse them a little bit, throw some different looks at them, don't give them anything deep, force them to catch it underneath and see if your pass rush gets home. Ben's going to make mistakes. He does every single game he plays almost. So just got to take advantage of him when they come. He looked awful, 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 awful this weekend. It really, really bad. I hope we get that Ben this week. Oh, I do too. At, uh, at Rob Crew asks, will anything be done to, to the game plan to get Sammy Watkins more involved, Matthew? I mean, the same was with uh, Kelsey last week. Is It was just a Tyree Kill show. We didn't throw that many passes, to be honest. So there was only so many to go to Watkins, and he still got what ended up being four targets. I think he got five, actually. Five, yeah. So they hit him with the very first play was that little screen in which he stiff-armed Hayward to the ground. And if it wasn't for just barely catching his toe on his way by, I mean, that's a good chunk of gain right there. Everybody knows he dropped the first slant, came back and made a great catch in the next one. Great find- catch. That was it a was. great catch. It's very understated how good of a catch it was. It was low. It was a little bit out in front of him. He had to reach for him. It was a great catch. You just wish he would have caught the first one, which was fired in there, but it kind of had to be. He's got to come down with it, but you're nice to see him to come back and rebound. So, I mean, yeah, I think they'll have a couple package of plays where he's going to be the first read and they're going to see what happens. People didn't realize, but that uh, bomb that Mahomes threw kind of at the end of half where he rolled out and wasted a lot of time and he threw out of bounds, that was a two-man route. 
Hill kind of ran a little bit of a post back into a corner once Mahomes started rolling out to his side, and Watkins was the only other person out and around, and he ran a nine route on the other side. I don't know if we anticipated saying cover one, cover three, something else, and just not the cover two we got, and we were just planning on attacking a one-on-one matchup, but it sure looked like Watkins was going to be the target if he wasn't pretty much bracketed all the way down the field. So they had some plays drawn up for him. They just didn't really get into rhythm doing it because Tyreek Hill was doing everything for the Chiefs that you could ever want. I mean, it, it's really hard to feature a second wide receiver when your first one goes for 170 yards and <laughs> you know, has three touchdowns and everybody looks poor in comparison. Yeah, the drop isn't great. That's becoming a thing now that we saw in the preseason and a little bit in camp. He needs to get a little bit more integrated, but I'm, I'm not worried. I think he's going to be just fine. I think there's going to be several games this year that defenses are going to try and shift, and he's going to get the favorable matchup all day long. And because they've already shown that they have a willingness to target him, and they'll target him often, I think we're going to see him bust a couple games open. Oh, I totally agree. There's going to be a stretch where he goes he goes on a tear. Uh, I do think, this is my prediction, I think Sam Watkins gets a touchdown against Pittsburgh this week. Uh, at well, Jayhawk... Yeah, I'm, I'm going yeah, I'm for sorry. it. No, you're good, homie. At, <laughs> no, Jayhawk, at Jayhawk1108. Scheme adjustments from last year's passing D to this year's? All corners pressing, question mark? Uh, Gregory? Yeah, yeah, they were pressing. Uh, the times that they weren't pressing, the Chiefs were up huge or it was an obvious down and distance where pressing didn't make sense, like a third and 14 where they just wanted to play the sticks. But for the most part, they pressed, and they pressed across the board. Even Eric Murray got up there. We were pressing tight ends. We are pressing all three receivers, and that allowed Bob to kind of roll with some unique formations where he had both defensive linemen. Derek Noddy played a wide nine this week. Yes. What did you call that? Derek, uh, it was the wide Noddy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But he and Alan Bailey or Chris Jones and Alan Bailey or even Jarvis Jenkins out there with three standing linebackers in the interior and then another linebacker on the edge. And the offensive line had to account for all of that. And Phillip Rivers couldn't throw hot routes because they were pressing. It, it really confused the San Diego offensive line. It didn't result in a ton of sacks, but it did result in lots of pressures, and the press worked. Steven Nelson was good. Uh, Kendall Fuller was good. Skandrick needed work, but they were pressing. The scheme was press. Matt? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I saw. We seemed to throw a little bit more press out there, which is fantastic, and it's something that Bob's done in the past, so it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. I mean, as long as our corners are getting their presses in, they all kind of have relatively quick feet to stay in phase once they do finally get a receiver off of them. So I like the concept. You just kind of got to clean up a little bit of the technique, looking mostly at Skandrick on that one, just making sure you don't get beat so cleanly right off the line of scrimmage if you're going to only have a single high safety behind you. That's the only thing to really look out for there. Good yeah, stuff, guys. Sure. Good stuff, guys. I uh, I kind of agree with both of you. Um, and I think the best versions of the Bob Sutton defenses have been the ones that have been more primarily pressed. So I'm kind of excited to see that back. Uh, last question. At Kyle Sterling asks, our run defense missed some plays. Who's to blame? Bob Sutton, the linebackers, edge guys, hoomst. Craig? You know, they started great. Uh, the nickel run D actually looked 
fantastic. Uh, the Chargers couldn't get anything going interior, and so they actually were running some jet sweeps and some end rounds and stuff like that to try and stretch the defense a little more. That found some success, as we already kind of covered earlier. The inside linebackers just weren't able to get out to the edges successfully to make stops. Uh, as the game went along, the defense got really worn down. I mean, we saw the guy's hands on hips, and we heard Braun Parker was had an IV at one point in the game. I mean, I think they just got worn down. My son got run over by Austin Eckler, a third down back. My son, Reggie Ragland. So that's not something that we're typically going to see as the season goes along. I think it was more of a conditioning issue, but uh, I I think it's still good, especially out of the nickel. Matt, did you see the same thing? Yeah, for the most part, the defense kind of started out good at all cylinders, but especially the run defense. There was penetration by a couple different guys on various run plays. You had a couple decent D Ford run defense snaps from the outside. Houston was Houston. Everything kind of looked pretty good to start, and as the game wore on, they just kind of started to fall off a little bit. The Chargers are a hard team to defend the run on because they will spread you out and still run the ball. That's always the hardest thing to stop as a defense. You're kind of hoping that just one guy breaks through and messes the play up. If not, you're not going to have numbers. Mm -hmm. So... The Chargers, when all things are clicking, can really run the ball well against some people. And the Chiefs, for whatever reason, have the hardest time tackling Melvin Gordon. I don't know what it is. Just against the Chiefs, he becomes Bo Jackson, and you just cannot stop him. Yeah, against any other team, he's just a very good running back. Against the Chiefs, it takes four guys to tackle him. He'll break through (laughs) a defensive tackle followed by a linebacker and then two safeties at the same time, just stumbling about. It just makes no sense. I've never figured it out, but Melvin Gordon against the Chiefs is always a must-start in a fantasy football league. It's true. I think, yep. I think uh, I think the 80 plays had a little bit to do with wearing down at the end of the game. I hope that the offense is a little bit more balanced, can sustain some drives, be a little bit more less less high variance than they were this week. Uh, guys, that's it for us on the show today. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much to Craig and Matt for uh, for joining us today. This is the AP Laboratory. Catch you later and see you next week. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.